Hi, I'm Ryan, the Tipsy Rules Guy. I'm Ben, the Slightly Late Player. I'm Jared, the Even More Late Game Master, and together we are Diecast. Thank you for joining us for episode three. Today we are going to be talking about information management when it comes to RPGs. Um, so what does that mean in normal people words, Jared? Yeah, I promise it's not boring. Um, the two main topics we're going to be covering are how to read an RPG book. Like, not actually how to read. We assume you can do that. But how to glean information from an RPG book. And also, how to keep track of the myriad of things that you need to know if you are in a longer-running game. These seem like pretty important topics, especially for beginners, but also... For some experienced players who may be getting introduced to new systems. Yeah, I I think that it I think we make a mistake in thinking that it's only important to new players. I think it's really relevant every time. I know that as a game master, this skill is super important to me. Um as a game master, we mentioned in our last episode that we've been playing a hunter game for a long time now but we're slowly turning it into a tapestry game all of the players are going to be picking up a supernatural type Uh, we've got one person who's a changeling we've got someone else who wants to be a werewolf and so we're slowly picking those up and incorporating that into the game which means that i as the gm have gone from one core rule book i need to manage to seven And so this, how do I keep track of the information and how do I get the effective information out of each book has become incredibly important to me. I know it's important to me to be able to glean the information pretty quickly because sometimes you don't have a whole lot of time to make your character sheet one way or another. Uh, Usually you're going to be introduced to the individual game's lore because it may be altered slightly or not by the game master. And sometimes it's more fun to learn it as you go as well. So I find this to be extremely important just to figure out how I'm going to play a character and quickly come up with some idea of what the system looks like. I certainly know um, that some of these things that we're going to talk about today have made me a better player. Uh, not just, you know, being able to, to manage my sheet and stuff more effectively, but They've made me more engaged because they help me remember what's going on and be more involved in the process. Yeah, so I think really today we're going to be looking at some tips from some veteran players and game masters on how to really maximize your time. So first of all, let's just start with the obvious on a role-playing game. Where do you start in the book? What chapter do you read first? So most books will have an introductory chapter. I always start there. But what I do after that, what part of the book I look at, be it the lore or the mechanics, depends on the game I'm playing. I start with whatever I think is most new to me. If I'm reading a book and I have no idea how that system works, I'm hopping to the mechanics first. So before I get involved in the lore, I can understand what we're doing. Or if we're in a world that I know nothing about, I'm starting with your lore chapter. Ryan, what about you? Well, it 
it does depend for me too i think a crucial part for me uh is if it's a game world i've had experience with before so like recently we started playing a third edition exalted game and i've played exalted before i've read books for, uh, for it before so when i picked it up uh, it is a beautiful book and i did read all the setting stuff but i didn't really need it right like i didn't need the introduction to the world i didn't need the, the lore that goes along with it so i went to the mechanics part and i did go back and read uh the setting uh which was was great there there were a lot of changes they made but and for me that that's a big determiner about what i do first is this like a supplement is this a game i've never read before in which case i usually start with the beginning and try to read it all the way through to the end so you just go straight through on new games to like new to you games, obviously. Yes. Um, and I will say I've definitely run into games where I didn't think they laid out the book correctly. For example, I read a game called Numenera once. It's a very interesting world. It's by Monty Cook Games, a very unique setting, but they gave you a little bit of the setting and they launched in mechanics, which is fine. You know, the mechanics were simple and straightforward and they launched a character creation, uh, but the setting was at the back, but it was such a, a unique setting that I didn't have anything to really hook me into caring about the game until I had already finished reading the mechanics and was at the back. I really felt like for that one, they needed to to introduce the world a bit more and make you excited about it so that you'd want to keep reading. So a lot of books will divide their lore into kind of two sections. They'll do the broad strokes before the mechanics, and then they will do the detailed lore after they've walked you through character creation and all of that. And that's kind of, when I'm approaching a new book, how I want to read it. Mm -hmm. I don't care about your detailed lore until I feel like I know how it's going to apply to your world. That being said, if you're going to give me a five-page introduction, that's great. Like, for instance, D&D Fifth Head. All of the setting stuff is at the back of the book. It's not even in the Player's Companion. It's only in the Dungeon Master's book. But what it does in the Player's Companion is the very first thing it does, it says, welcome to D&D. Here are the base classes. And here's a little bit of information about each one. Okay, now let's start making a character, right? And so I think that the games that are laid out the best lay it out that way. Broad stroke, mechanics, detail. A lot of games, particularly a lot of games made 10 years ago, don't do that. And in the games that don't do that, I will do it myself. It's like, what do they do? They just front load it? They either do all mechanics first or all lore first. So the now defunct Warhammer 40k game, Dark Heresy, the first 50 pages of the book is character creation and skills and everything mechanics-wise. And then the remaining 350 pages of the book are the lore. But you only get one page of lore before you know how to make the character. And anybody who knows 40K knows that it's an incredible universe that's been being made for 50 years. One page of lore on that's a joke. So when you start reading the lore, you're talking about kind of the synopsis of the lore. What are you really looking for? What's going to hook me or if I am GMing, what's going to hook my players? So even as a player, you're looking for something to hook you? Absolutely. I'm looking for, like, what's the thing I want to explore? I I have said before, the sign of a really good RPG is when you're reading through the character options and you are inspired by all of them. Or at least a bunch of them, yeah. Uh, the more you're inspired by the character options they present, the better I think they've set up the game for you. If you read every character class or whatever 
and you think that there's a cool story there that you want to explore, that's a good sign. Okay, so kind of, you want the lore and the character creation mixed together to some degree. Again, that depends on the game system. So recently, Ryan introduced me to a game that he's had a chance to play and I haven't called Spire. I, their book is set up with a whole lot of lore before you ever get to any mechanics. And I think that because their lore is so unique, that's the way it had to be set up for their book. And the hook for me was, I want to be a part of this story. Like, I I didn't care what the mechanics were. I mean, it turns out they're great. But, like, even if I hated the mechanics, I would still have wanted to play the game because I was hooked on the story. Like, the idea of it is, like, you are a conquered people living in a city 200 years after your conquerors took over. You're part of the resistance. I'm in. <laughs> Set it in a high fantasy world and I'm in, right? Yeah. It's been a lot of fun, by the way. I think, though, it, it really depends on the book and the game. Like, for D&D, you're right. It, it doesn't matter. You don't need a lot. It's D&D. It's everyone's, or it's most people's first game. It's basically a genre on its own. You don't really need that much lore to start with. You can just go into it. Yeah. But, Mut- mutants and masterminds. You don't need the lore. You're a superhero. Make a superhero. Have fun. Right? So kind of going off, talking about D&D and mutants and masterminds, what do you look for... When you're being introduced to a new edition of a game versus a brand new book or system. So I've actually struggled with this recently. When I'm being introduced to a new edition, I often have trouble trying to make sure that I understand what changes they've made and I don't get confused. Uh, In fact, it's one of the reasons I started reading books cover to cover, front to back, was I needed to make sure... I I could take in the whole book in the way they wanted it, which admittedly sometimes isn't always the best way. I need to know what they've changed. So I have to keep everything straight. And if I jump around, I'm concerned that I may not catch something. So the first thing I do when I'm introduced to a new edition of a game has nothing to do with the book. I go and I read every developer who puts out a new game, puts out a what's changed or what's new pitch to try and get the players of the old game to buy their new edition, that's where I start. Hmm. And it's because they tell you everything that they're trying to change. And usually, they're pretty honest about it. The one for Exalted 3rd, without going into too much detail for those who don't know it, the setting of Exalted in 2nd edition was great, but the rules, particularly by the end, were a hot mess. In that game, you had perfect attacks, which would hit somebody automatically, and you had perfect defenses, which meant you couldn't be hit no matter what happened. And so it became who ran out of their power using resource first, they win. Or they, the person who, who still had their power using resource won. And it was terrible. So the first thing that they said on their, like, welcome to third edition sheet is, oh, we're not doing that great right so don't be afraid to look at the developer resources they're not just going to present newest edition of third ed they're not trying to sell you a new truck they're going to tell you what's changed yeah and that's like i don't look at anything else the developer has put out besides the game when i'm looking at a game that's brand new to me if your game doesn't excite me then why do i care if you're excited about it but if i'm already invested enough 
to be buying a new set of rules for your game that I already know. Like if I if I like your game that much, I want to know what you thought was bad about the old one and what you're out to change. The design goals. Yeah. Um. So on to kind of a central aspect of most role-playing games. How about the combat chapter? When do you try and tackle that? So I like to lump... This is sort of answering your question, Ben. Um, I like to lump the combat chapter in with whatever I think is the primary mechanic chapter is how I like to think of it. Um, There are some games where combat isn't what's important to your rules, and instead it's negotiation or investigation, in which case I read the investigation chapter first. Right? But for most games... Yeah, for most games, that's combat. Um, and and so you should, in my opinion, when you get to mechanics, you should read the chapter on whatever is most important for that game first. For uh, almost every major game, that's combat. Or to, to put it another way, what is the primary mechanical loop of your game? Yeah. Okay. Which, agree, it, for most games, is, for almost all games, is going to be combat. But there are certainly games, um, uh, the Gumshoe game that comes to mind. It's it's mostly about investigation and how do you handle that? How do you gain clues? Um, and that forms the core that the game that the mechanics of the game were, were meant to deal with. Um, you guys should be quiet for a second while I look up the name of a game, unless you happen to remember the Palladium game about ghosts, Brian. Uh. They had the street magic game, but it was not specifically about ghosts. Sorry, this is perfect, and I just need to look up what it is. Um, And I know that it was going to involve me typing, so I didn't want to... What was it? Most of your stuff is so bad. Um. Ah, Beyond the Supernatural. Okay, great. That's what it was. So Beyond the Supernatural was a game put out by Palladium Games that a lot of it, sure, combat played a major part, but a lot of it involved literally talking the supernatural things you were dealing with out of whatever they were doing. And so a lot of the main loop was, how do I convince this ghost to move on? How do I, right? That sounds really cool, actually. Um... And so, like, the combat wasn't what I needed to read there first, you know, right? So, like, for most games, that's combat. D&D, combat. Every Onyx Path game, combat. Mutants and Masterminds, combat. But there are the rare games here and there where that's not your primary loop. Um. Cool. And so how does this change? How? Uh, blah, 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 blah. 
cool. So, does anything change about how you read a book when you are running a game versus when you're playing it? Absolutely. Um, when I'm running a game, I'm much more focused about I need to understand this game, both the setting and the mechanics really well. If I'm a player, I'm much more haphazard about it. I need to know what my character does, but I don't need to worry about the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. My point of emphasis is a little different than Ryan's, but when I'm planning on GMing a game, my focus is on the world. It's on the lore. When I'm reading a book that I'm planning to play in, my focus is how do I maximize my own fun? It's the GM's job to maximize everyone else's fun. Like, <laughs> no, like seriously, it is. So like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. What's the cool character that's going to have me make the most fun? Like, right? Like, what's the thing that just makes me giggle with joy? I mean, kind of branching off of that, do you start making a character immediately? Like, do you go to the back of the book, at least that's in the ones I've experienced where it's at, and find the character sheet and then start going down it when you start reading? Or what do you do? I read all of the character options. Like, I will read through the entire chapter of every possible thing I can do, or sometimes it's chapters of everything I can do with a character. And then once I figured out which thing I really want to do, then I immediately start making a character. But I want to know all my options before I start building. I'm a, I'm a let's know the playbook before I start calling any plays guy. Sam, I definitely have, like, mentally kept tabs on, like, ooh, this seems like a cool thing uh, as I've read through the book. Um, but I want to know about... I want to know the options that are available to me. So first kind of absorb the material and then really start digging down into specifics. Yeah, let's not pretend that I'm actually reading a large portion of the lore before I make a character when I'm playing. I'm not. Um, but I want to know what all of my... like. I'm somebody who wants to make a character very early in the process. But I want to... You know, I don't want to start making a bard in D&D. Because I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then as soon as I make my bard, I flip three pages. And I'm like, oh, damn it. What I really wanted was a druid, right? Like, <laughs> I want to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, and I like know Ryan I said, conceptually kind of have to start creating at least a character concept. And then putting a few things to paper as I'm reading. Or else I sometimes struggle <laughs> to really understand what the game is about. Mm, yeah and that's a really good point and for really complicated systems i do that um i uh i have a friend who, who ran Chatterrun, uh and it it has been a long time since i had run i had played in Chatterrun. uh so when he was going to run a game i i absolutely did that like i was reading through the book and there's we can do multiple episodes on Chatterrun as a system but it is a complicated system. Uh, I definitely at times took a break. I'm like, okay, I I need to sit down and make a character to understand what they're talking about here. So, and I granted, did that a couple times. Granted, this was several editions ago for Shadowrun for me. But the first time I sat down 
and Red Shadowrun was one of those games where every new character type I got to, I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Ooh, that sounds cool. Oh, that's neat, right? And so <laughs> I'm really glad that I at least made it to the end of the character types. And as soon as I did, I was like, oh, yeah, well, it's clear to me what I want to be, and we're done, right? Yeah. Um, but I would have been really sad had I started making a character right away because I told they would have made it a Decker and... Restart. I would have been... It's, you can just cut that whole sentence. It's not important. <laughs> it's not so worth really, saying. I have kind of... Um, yeah. So really, I have kind of one last question on how to read an RPG book for you guys that I think it's going to be a little more difficult. But for those of us um, who really enjoy roleplay but find the rule system sometimes obtuse, how do you... Do you have any suggestions about making it a more fun experience? Because I know some... I've, I've learned to enjoy role-playing game books, but uh, especially at first, uh, I know I've fallen asleep on more than one RPG book. Not even joking. Any suggestions on how to make it an easier experience for, for the people who don't really enjoy getting into those rules and things? Start over with how to make it an easier experience. You chopped. That's fair. So, can you use your guys' advice on how to make it an easier experience for new players or people who just find it difficult to sit down and read these role-playing games, as they can be kind of dense at times? So, for me, I can't read them like they're a book. I can't just sit down and read through it, because by and large, there's no or little narrative. I get bogged down in the details and and I will fall asleep. So what I do is it's a resource. It's a it's an encyclopedia. It's an encyclopedia to an entirely different world and so I treat it like that. Um if I'm thinking about it as a player or as a GM my method will be a little differently. I tend to default to the GM method for myself. Which is, as I'm reading a book, whenever I get an idea of what I would like to tell a story in this world, I will either, if I'm at my computer, type it up or write it down. And I will actually keep a notebook with me while I'm reading a role-playing book. And I'll be like, oh yeah, I want them to go to this city. I want to explore this idea. I want this mechanic super cool. And I actually like start to plan out a campaign as I'm reading the book. Um, That's and, really cool. And if I'm coming at it from a character perspective and I'm reading the book, when I'm reading the lore section and like doing that, I'm thinking to myself, where's my character from? Which of these big lore details matter to my character? What does he know? What does he not know? And I'll actually sit there and write my character background while reading the book. Any suggestions That's... from you, Ryan? I know you've been, um, you know, in this world a lot longer. But any, like, is there a way that you make reading? Because I think you've probably read every rule system there is, and some of them can't hmm. be too much fun. How do you make um, them enjoyable? So I think, uh, for me, um, 
I enjoy trying to understand how the mechanics work. Um, so it is it is different for me, like sitting down and reading mechanics chapter. I mean, I don't want to do that all day, right? That that would get boring yeah. eventually. But I, I want to understand how it works and what it's talking about, um, and like the range of character abilities. So that when I, I start to make my character, I have a good understanding of, like, everyone has had that situation where, like, they make a character to do something, and then they realize in the middle of the game, like, oh, I'm not very good at doing that thing. Um, <laughs> and I hate that feeling. Uh, so I I really try to understand, like, the scale of things. So when I make my character, that's um, that doesn't happen. I would say if you're having trouble with the mechanics, uh, the thing that has helped me at times is trying to explain them to someone else. Uh, like reading through the chapter, I'm like, okay, you, these are the kind of dice you use, this is the target number or whatever. And then going and trying to explain to someone else, this is how the system works. Uh, that I think that will really help you, both in trying to understand the system better um, and to make you more invested in it. Yeah, I thought that... that so... That, go ahead. One thing I'd like to just add... Role-playing... One thing I would like to add... Role-playing books aren't narratives. If part of it is boring... Skip it. You might have to come back if it's a mechanics chapter. But it's not like you're reading a novel where if you skip a chapter, nothing's going to make sense. There have been some role-playing systems that I really like that I even think they're lord. So you're going to have to cut the very end there. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, That's fine. There are certain systems, Onyx Path, making Chronicle, New Chronicles of Darkness has done this with all of their stuff where they explain the lore of the world and what things are in a non-narrative way in their lore chapters. And then they have, at the beginning of most of their chapters, they will have a short story. Um, a lot of that stuff now is, is really good, but for some of their earlier books, no offense to them, I still love those games, but for some of those earlier books, I really found their short stories boring. I found their lore chapters very engaging, but I didn't think their short stories were well written. So I skipped them. I'd give each one like two paragraphs and then be like, boring, next. <laughs> and that kept me interested in the book. I will say that their late, most recent stuff has actually, their short stories have gotten very good. Um, short stories in Mage are terrific. Yes. And their short stories in Exalted are like nothing short of awesome. Like, oh, yeah, wow. yeah, no, I I'd forgotten that they're, yeah, sorry. Oh wow, yeah, I the short stories in Exalted are amazing. I've read all of that stuff. So like, if something isn't, and particularly as a player, if a part of the lore isn't interesting to you, skip it. Your GM will know what's going on. And you can just play that off as a character, as like a thing your character doesn't know as well. That's, you know, seems completely reasonable. 
Yeah, you're not reading a novel. Don't treat it like it's a novel. So any other last points that either of y'all want to make? I thought that's incredibly important to remember that it's not narrative. Uh, that's a good way of looking at those books that I really hadn't thought of, to be honest. Um, well, then, uh, let's talk about... How actually, one, one, one last thing. Yep. Sorry. No. Nope. I hadn't thought of this, so you were about ready to skip it. A game that I play... A game that I play when I really need to read a chapter but find it very boring but like want to play the game with my friends or whatever um but if i'm reading a mechanics chapter or something that like really is dragging on me but i know i need to absorb it i will turn it into a game for myself and i will start finding i will start playing find the dangling modifier Hmm. find the misspelled word and I will act like a professional editor and just try and tear it apart to keep myself engaged. Dang. Yeah. That's ruthless, but sounds effective. I mean... Something to note. Writing an RPG book is very difficult. Um, so there are mistakes. There are always going to be mistakes. I mean, yes. And most of the time they're reasonable, but there are some books from some publishers uh, where it's like really inexcusable. Oh, look, we're talking about Shadowrun again. Let's move on, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) So now that you've gotten your character, you've read the book, and you're about to play, how do we manage all this information that is going to be a part of your RPG experience? So many. Groups. So I think it's important to talk about like what we mean when we're talking about like information management. Again, our hunter game has been going on for well over four years now. We've been playing weekly. We've had over two hundred and twenty sessions. Oh my goodness! I've never done the math on that one. Like I didn't Ye- thought about it. Yeah, there is a zero percent chance that my characters are going to know the name of every NPC that they've met. That they're going to know every even relatively major plot point we've done. When you are building a world that lasts four years, it's going to get huge, right? It's going to be like Star Trek The Next Generation big. And so you need to come up with tips and tricks both for yourself as a GM, if you are the GM, or yourself as a player, if you're a player, to make sure that you don't lose the big stuff. Or if you do lose it, that it's easily accessible. Which I guess leads us right into the first point, uh, computer tools. What specific tools do you all use on the computer to aid in this? Um, so in that game, in, in the Hunter game, I started taking notes um, every session. Uh, and it's actually helped me. I've started doing it in other games because it has helped me be much more invested in the game. I'm more of where it's going on because I want to write it down, and by writing it down, I I remember it better. Um, so I actually recommend taking notes. What does your note taking look day. like? What? What does your note taking look like? Uh, I write down. Uh, events as they happen in the session so not not really is like a journal it's not from my character's point of view it's from just a reminder to me like oh 
uh, you know, we went here, we investigated this, we found this clue that's really weird. Uh, when we were leaving, we got called by this NPC who told us something, uh, a, a follow-up on something we'd asked him about last session. Uh, it's just a general summary for me of what happened that session. Because I take a lot of notes as GM, but my notes look nothing like that. My notes are filed by, I have them in, in three different sets. And a lot of the information appears in all three places. But I have a document for characters, a document for plot points, and a document for major events. And so every piece of information that you learn about the corrupt mayor goes under mayor in characters, goes under the city in plot points. And some of that I'll do after the game, but a lot of that I do as we're playing, and I keep it organized so that when we haven't dealt with a character who has been named in six months and we have to go back and we're like, oh man, what's the mayor's secretary name? Rather than making it up a second time, I can go into characters, search for word mayor, and then underneath it, it will say secretary named. I'm like, okay, great. Ta-da. Right? So somewhat silly question, but also very honest. How do you keep from making a constant clicking noise with your keyboard? Both of you. Uh, I don't know. I've never really worried about it. I just use my headset. Um, because you don't. I don't hear you typing whenever we play, Ryan, which has boggled my mind. I I don't know. So, don't use a mechanical keyboard. I do. So I was going to say, I actually have a second keyboard for during game that isn't a mechanical keyboard. Just so it isn't loud. Um. Ryan, if you said something, it cut out. No, that was Jared. Oh, okay. Uh, did you hear what I said, Ben? No. Okay, uh, I was going to say, I actually have a second keyboard that isn't a mechanical keyboard that I use during game, so it isn't loud. Okay, so that is something that might be useful for me as a player to look into, but also for anybody out there who wants to take notes, you know, look into a quiet keyboard if you have one that goes clickety-clack like mine does. Um, and you can also manage some of that in, like, Discord settings, is how much background noise it picks up. True. Uh, Discord's new... I think it's called like noise cancellation or whatever the setting is. Noise suppression powered by Crisp is actually pretty is actually pretty effective at blocking out like pen scraping sounds and clicking. I've noticed yeah. that the last couple of weeks I've had that on, and you guys haven't complained about my mechanical keyboard, which I've just been using. Oh, so um, okay. So I think that that's super useful. Um, as far as other tools, I think it's important to encourage the players to do what is useful for them. So one of the players in our Hunter game that has been going on forever, they've the players have run into all sorts of different supernatural creatures. And so one of the players actually made a Google Doc that they called the Supernatural Census, where they literally wrote down 
everything that they ran into that was supernatural, whether it was hostile or friendly, how dangerous it was, what type of supernatural they thought it was, uh, and where they left it. Um, And what I... What I mean by where they left it isn't like, you know, oh, we put it in the cabinet. I mean, like, what is their state the last time they interacted with players? And it's like a lot of, like, it's dead. It's dead. It's dead. It's trying to kill us. It's dead. Right? Um, Yeah. More of a hit list than anything else in some ways. But I have found that really useful. And, And I find it even more useful that a player is keeping it than if I was. Because I get to see what they think everything is. Um. So, uh, perhaps more as a GMing tool than organizing stuff. Well, organizing for the GM. Uh, I've played in several Amber games. Amber the Diceless RPG. Um, and one of the things they do in there is that you can do contributions for your character, which give you, um, you know, more points to spend on your character. But you have to do them every session. And one of them is to do a journal from your character's perspective. Uh, and the reason, uh, whenever I've talked to the to people who've run those games, um, they, they've mentioned that they love those because, you know, one, players are writing about their characters and that's great and it's getting them more involved. But also, it tells them what the players took out of the session. If nobody mentioned that one NPC who showed up and said something, that lets them know that no one noticed that. Or if they really noticed something and picked up on it, even if it wasn't really intentional, that that's now something more important. And it lets them adjust their game to it. Yeah, yeah kind of a tag to that. Go ahead. Kind of a tag to that. The number of characters in our Hunter game that started as completely meaningless NPCs that you were going to interact with once for 30 seconds that have now become major story points because one or more people locked onto them is great. So like when your characters focus on or, or let you know that they were intrigued by something, make a note of that. Use that as a tool to keep them involved. Uh, an example, Devin's cats. (laughs) <laughs> yes um, so Ben's character in our game uh, a veterinarian named Devin is obsessed with cats pathologically yeah pathologically obsessed with cats um, and I had him just send me send me pictures and and names and personalities for your 10 favorite cats that was such a blast and yeah, and had fun doing it. But now I've had three of them become major story characters. Um, one of his cats got possessed by a spirit and it let him talk. And Ben had to figure out whether or not he was going to get this dangerous spirit out of his cat or just let it keep doing its thing because it meant he could talk to his cat, right? And it gave him some great inner conflict. You've always wanted to talk to your cat, but it's like a little weird. Mm. It's extremely weird. It was a nice catnip for Algernon situation. Wow. 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 Yeah. I'm Ooh. proud of that one. Don't be. You should be. You absolutely <laughs> should be. That was incredible. Uh, Ben's just wrong. You should be very proud of that. 
So, um, something that I've uh, started to enjoy doing um, for those Ember games, actually, uh, I started making wikis. Uh, and you don't need it for every game, but for longer games, uh, setting up a wiki so that other players can interact with it and add things and keep track of things is a great way to do sort of collective note-taking for the group. Um, I use Obsidian Portal for that. I'm sure you could set it up in a, a bunch of other different places too. Uh, but I've actually really enjoyed it. Uh, it gives people a place to put up like, here's the stuff that everyone knows about my character. And they don't have to put up anything else. But at least like, oh, you, right. And I can go check and like, uh, I know that, that, that character description's on there or something. And when we interact with something, we can alter the wiki. Say, oh yeah, we went to that city. Uh, this person can't go back to that city because they're, they're wanted there because they got kicked out of a, a bar or whatever. Um, I've really enjoyed setting up the wikis. And I, I think they're they're really easy to do. And I think they're worth it. Cool. I mean, I do think at some point we should have, not today, but a longer conversation about like the right way to do that and the differences in like all so, of these different programs. I, I want to mention short. I want to do a brief description of a couple of the more major actual programs, just so people know they're out there. Oh yeah. Um, like we'll do we'll do more about them in a future episode, but I wanted to, I would like to do the thirty second version. Yeah. The um, quick hits. Yeah, Discord is my internet voice program of choice. It lets you, it has lots of helpful bots. It lets you do dice rollers in a really easy way. Roll20 is one that has a lot more functionality than Discord does, but it also, it like lets you use maps and things like that. But it's also, to me at least, not as user-friendly as Discord. So since I as a GM don't use many maps, I'm happy to stick to Discord. If we were playing a game where I used way more maps, I would have a switch to Roll20. Um, uh, tabletop oh. Simulator uh, is another good one. It's uh, You have to pay to buy it, and it takes more setup on the GM side, but it has a lot more options. Though I think it is even less user-friendly than Roll20. So You can also play anything on it. Yeah, with, with Tabletop Simulator um, in particular, I would not recommend using it every session. It takes me, when I want to build a map and set up all the NPCs and everything for tabletop simulator it usually takes me several hours before a session so like i there's no way in hell i'm using it for every session but whenever we have a particularly complicated battle coming up usually like at the end of a campaign arc and i know that it's going to be too hectic to describe well i'll build you guys a tabletop simulator map and i do that i don't know what once every six months something like that and it yeah. is always a blast. So, like, I, I really like having tabletop as a, a tool in my toolbox, even if it is one that I don't use very often. I think it's the most powerful of these tools. I just think it's also a giant pain in the ass to use. And it is not very janky at this point, but certainly janky. Uh, yeah, their fog of war system is terrible. It's just, like, really atrocious. But um, on a positive note, when the battle's done, you can flip the virtual table. Which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> is the most important part. Um, 
we already talked a lot about what we write down and what we take notes on. Um, there's just like one particular thing that I really want to hit here. Yeah. Um, always write down your vital information. And what I mean by that is keep track of your character. If your character is hurt, write down how. Like I know you're supposed to, but like sometimes we forget. Don't let yourself forget. Always write down your XP. Um, not to call Ben out or anything. No, but I would never forget to write down my XP. I am currently, <laughs> I have already spent like an hour and a half looking at Ben's character sheet and subtracting how many points he spent on his character versus somebody who knows how many XP points they're supposed to have to we'll see, see how many XP points Ben is actually supposed to have. I didn't um, mean to cause you actual work. I can, I can backtrack. No, I mean, like, I'm almost done. We, at PS, you have way more than you thought you did. Um... I'm not shocked. Um, yeah, you need to spend some of that XP. But anything that is absolute... I track of it for every week, though. Now we just have to do that for Hunter. If anything where there is vital information, and I include stuff like, this is a thing about the big bad boss I absolutely need to know, make sure you write that down. Right? Like Google Docs is your friend. Yes. Yeah. Spreadsheets for everything. I'm giving a little bit away since two of my players are on this with me. But there's a major NPC who is wreaking havoc in our game that they've forgotten about. And the longer they forget about him, the more damage he's causing in the background. And I can't wait for them to remember he exists so that I can run down all of the havoc he's caused. It's going to be so exciting. (laughs) Um, And then all of our characters are going to feel terrible. Yeah, yeah, you let him get away with this. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Okay. Um, And I guess for me, also, like there's, we've gone over a lot of information that you do need to keep. What information can you let go? I mean, this is harder. Um, For the GM, I would say, honestly, not a lot. Because you never know what your players are going to jump on and think is important. But as a player, if it's something that falls either into another character's background or into another character's ballywick, I think you can let it go. Like, we had a character in our Hunter game who was, like, the supernatural researcher, and Ben's character is the vet. If Ben forgets about the specifics of uh, supernatural information that we're currently hunting, that's okay. It's not his character's job to remember it, right? Now, the researcher needs to remember it. So kind of stay focused on what your character is good at and know what your character would know. Know what your character would know and know what the... More importantly, know what your party is going to rely on your character for. Could you repeat that? I thought that was important and it cut out a little bit. 
More importantly, it's know what your party is going to rely on your character for. If you've got one main combat character, he should remember who and what might get violent with the party. Right? Yeah. Um, if you've got one social character, they should remember who they're manipulating on behalf of the party, right? Everyone. In the everyone. It's pretty much everyone. <laughs> um, so we've been talking about this as if you're running an online game. Uh, and right now, that's kind of the only option. Um, but in an in-person game, uh, I would... Obviously, you want paper to take notes with. Um, your character sheet, like a physical character sheet. I really prefer having a physical character sheet. Um, I don't know. I much I prefer having an interactive one on a computer or an iPad. Uh, sure. Uh, I usually have both. Um, but I feel it's depending on the game in person. Uh, I think it can be difficult at times to. It can slow things down. Sure. Jared, are you speaking? No, I was about to. I took in a breath because I was about to talk, and then I didn't talk. Um, so we have a problem here. There's something that we should talk about that really should have gone under a thing we did earlier. I don't know how we want to handle that. I think we talk about it now, and I can try and edit it in. And if it doesn't work, we just have a weird little interstitial at the end. Okay, great. Um, then I think then I think you should um, I think you should ask the questions. Are there any physical tools that make your life easier? And then I can give us the yes. so. Are there any physical tools that make your life easier? Yeah. So I like to, particularly in games that are complicated, make my life as easy as possible. So for instance, in Exalted, even in the core book of Exalted 3rd Ed, there's about 300 charms. Um, I print up the description of every charm that like my character might need to use or my NPC might need to use. So that I'm not flipping through the 700-page book to find the charm. I'm, okay, combat charms. I keep my combat charms in one pile, my social charms in another, and my movement charms in another pile. And I look at, and it's really easy to do, right? Yeah. I make myself little cheat sheets with all of the information I think I'm going to need. And the last one is... There are some games, Exalted being a great example, that are really dynamic in how they handle combat. For example, in Exalted, the combat order, who goes where in the round, can and will change mid-round. So even though you rolled the highest initiative and you were supposed to go first, something could happen that actually makes you go third. And so for that game, for combat as a GM, I made a little laminated chart where I can use beads to track the initiative. So instead of having to write it down and scratch it out 40 times, I can just slide it up and down my little chart. 
Oh, that sounds cool. And it has made combat much easier to, to keep track of. I don't know if there are any that are important for you, Ryan. Well, in that one, um, because there is a lot to keep track of in Excel, um, I have a Google Doc. Whenever I buy a charm or a power, so whenever I, I have an ability, uh, I copy it from the book and I put it in there. And on my character sheet or you know something like it, on my combat cheat sheet if the game is complicated enough, I, I'll have a like... A quick description of the ability um, and like if it does it cost a resource uh, and what page it's on um, so if I need to I can reference it quickly to see like oh I need the specific details of this power but without that like uh, this charm lets me hit better or adds this to my defense or whatever it is um, and I I've used that a lot in that game um, Yeah, I, I depending on what game you're playing, uh, you you're probably gonna have to make little cheat sheets for yourself. Um, in a in a a D and D game recently I was in in, in person, um, the GM had little sheets that he would fold over the GM screen, uh, and when combat would break out and people would roll their initiative, uh, they they had each character's character name on it. Uh, and he would reorder them on top of his GM screen based on the initiative order. And he had ones for, like, the monsters, too. Uh, but it was a really great way to keep track of who goes at, at what initiative. And, you know, as someone went, you would just move it slightly down the, the screen so we could tell who had gone and who, who still needed to go. Um, and I actually thought that was a really cool um, way to do it. Um yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. That is uh, amazing. Uh, in fact, we were doing a module, so he actually he bought them. Uh, someone made them, and he bought them. Uh, and they had all of the monsters, uh, the stats for all the monsters that were in the module. It's like, oh, we're fighting zombies. So he'd find the zombie one, and he'd put it out, and he'd put it on top there. So it even had a quick reference for him of like, oh, the zombie's AC is this. Uh, they rolled this to hit you. Um, and it was, it was a, a really nice tool uh, for that game. So the sense I'm kind of getting and the overall takeaway from this is get creative with your tools. Um, try and think a little. It is a pen and paper RPG that we're playing, but think a little bit outside of that as well, uh, which I know I sometimes struggle with. But maybe try and create some of your own tools and figure out what works for you. So for people who play video games as well as opposed to just pen and paper rpgs a lot of times when you're playing a video game you either are excited by or frustrated by how good the game's quality of life stuff is what does it do to make it easy for you how many clicks does it take to turn in a quest how easy is it to look at your character's inventory how easy is it to check what you're supposed to be doing right all of these things make an impact on your experience playing the game I try to think of what can I do to increase my quality of life while playing the pen, the, the role-playing game. How far back? All the way? No, no, just from the pause. The I try to think. Yeah. I try to think about uh, role-playing games the same way. How do I improve my quality of life? 
the first time we did a test combat in Exalted, like before the game even started, I wanted to do a test combat because combat is very different in that game. And I realized that what I was having trouble with was keeping track of initiative. And so that's why I made that initiative tracker. It was just a simple quality of life thing. Like I'm spending half of combat thinking about initiative order instead of how do I tell this cool story? Okay, let's spend 20 minutes making a thing that I can then laminate for a dollar and have forever that takes the need to think about that entirely out of the game. Uh, when I ran a Scion game a few months ago, uh, I had a Google Doc that everyone was invited to that uh, I did the same thing with, right? Like, it had what the current initiative was. Uh, it had, like, the in Scion, there's a party resource called Momentum that the, the players share. It had, like, what the current momentum was there. Um, it even had a few, uh, like, quick combat cheat sheets for the, for the players. So if they didn't, like... I need to remember, you know, what can I do in this situation? Like, well, if you just scroll down a little bit, it has all the options right there. Um, and I I would say if you find something as a stumbling block for you, find a way to make it easier. If you keep forgetting the same thing, write it down someplace, share it with people, make a note of it. Makes sense to me. So I think that really covers everything we wanted to talk about today. Is there anything else y'all wanted to bring up before we wrap? No, I would just like to say once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, this has been Diecast, and we are... I'm Ryan, the tipsy rules guy. I've been the slightly late player. And I'm Jared, the even later game master. Thank you so much, and join us next week.